I'm Mel Stewart, and this is Swim Slam Podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest. This man is one of the greatest coaches on planet Earth. Everyone loves him. He has the loyalty of his swimmers, the loyalty of his peers. 2019 Pan American Games, uh, U.S. head coach men, Pan American Games team, uh, USA head coach team women, uh, 2013 World University Games head coach women, He's, uh, he's a Swim Swam National College Coach of the Year, SEC Team Champion Coach 2020. Um, today we have Matt Kredich, Head Coach at the University of Tennessee. Hey, buddy. How you doing, Mel? It's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. I was just going to keep going and going and going and, and, and see if you'd stop me. But uh, I, had, I, I, was, I was getting the sense that you weren't going to stop me. No, it's funny when you mention those dates, those things. I mean, there, there are some incredible memories associated with each of those things. So I was, I guess, getting a little bit lost in remembering each of those things. And, and that's, I mean, those are all great experiences. Well, for our young listeners out there, we're going to have to have full disclosure. I'm going to have to let you guys know that I am a University of Tennessee alum, and I have, you know, head of this podcast, I talked to a lot of alumni, and I, and I said, hey, guys, I'm talking to Matt. Do you have a question for him? And everybody came back, 100%, all the same question, and here it is. Matt, when are you going to win an NC2A title? Ooh, okay. Um <laughs> Well, the, the next time we walk into NC2As, it will be with the, the, the plan of, uh, or the, the, the vision that comes beforehand is, okay, how do we win this meet? That's the way we walk into every meet. Um, and that question is always in my mind, in the minds of the, the staff and, and in the minds of the athletes. Uh, as you know, one of the great things about sport is that it has to be played out. Like any contest has to be played out. So there will be predictions and there will be um, sight sheets scored out, but the, the score starts at zero and everybody has a say in the outcome. And we, we want to be the ones that have the most say. So. I'm not going to give you a definite date, but I'm going to tell you that that question is in the forefront of our mind in, you know, almost everything that we do is how, how do we win? We, we, you know, I, I, I told Coleman, I said, look, we're just going to start off, right. We're going to start off with a bang. And, and he thought you might have a different response. Uh, what, what response did you think you would say, Coleman? Uh, you're going to say last year. <laughs> well, that's gone. <laughs> I mean, that chance is gone. And, and yeah, absolutely, Coleman. I mean, we, our, our women uh, had, I think, as, as much buy-in and belief as any team that I've ever coached uh, to the idea that we were, we were going to that meet to win. And I have to say that getting to that point is, is maybe as satisfying as, as winning. Getting to the point where a team really believes and, you know, all of the expectations and it, 
internal and external expectations can kind of melt away and you, you own those expectations yourself and you feed each other within a team that we, we will do this. We, we, we are champions like that, that identity in some ways precedes the, the act of doing, um, getting to that point is, is, is really satisfying. And, and we were, we were definitely there with our women last year. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes here, Coleman, and then you can dive deep into the weeds and get granular with him. Uh, you know, in, in talking to alum and, and everybody talking in the background, uh, it, I, I can say that, you know, since you've taken over, everyone, everyone is, is, everyone loves you. Everyone's very happy with you. And, and frankly, the biggest concern is that you might be poached away, but based on my intelligence gathering, my understanding that is, is that your backyard grill is like been just pimped. It is like perfection. And, and it's like, if someone tried to poach you away, they, what they would really be doing is they would, they would have to come to you and say, we will recreate your bra- your backyard grill situation. Uh, uh, otherwise, you're, 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 you're stuck in Knoxville. Okay, first of all, I know what your intelligence is. Uh, and there's no better intelligence than Kim Kreditch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I, you know, Tennessee is, is a destination job, I think, by almost any standard. And I've been given the um, I, I've been given the freedom to create the, the environment that, that I want to create here um, professionally. And at the same time, I've, I, I, I love to cook and I've got uh, a, a pretty fantastic um, setup at, at home. And I think the combination of those two things basically means that I, I'm in Knoxville as long as Tennessee will have me here. If, if I did, before we get chlorinated, what's, what is your go-to grill situation? When is it, I mean, is it, are, you, are you pulling out the 20 ounce ribeye? What, 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 what's going on in your backyard? All right. So th- three, th- there are three, uh, three, I guess, uh, ways to heat food in my backyard. One is an Evo, which is this, this really big, um, cast iron top and it's, it's, gas grill but it's it's this massive piece of cast iron so you want something quick including steak you can cook it on the evo and it's a great way to cook fish that way the house doesn't smell like fish you can also make an entire coleman pancakes eggs (laughs) bacon all at once like enough for 10 people all at once (laughs) then you move over and we've got um what's called a grill works grill and it's a uh, it's, it, it's, it's basically a, a wood fired grill that has, um, uh, grates that, that raise and lower. And that is fantastic for steaks, um, pork. And when you cook with applewood, there's really not much better. Um, but I've also made turkey out there, fish, grilled fish is just fantastic. So you get the flavor of the smoke. It's not charcoal smoke. It's actually wood smoke. And then we have the pizza oven. So you move over and we've got uh, an oven that is, you can make a lot of things. It's a, it's a, a wood fired oven, but the most, uh, the best thing to make is pizza. If I had one food for the rest of my life and one place to cook it, it would be that oven. 
Okay, last question. I'm pushing off. I th the last time we were in Knoxville was for the Pro Swim, and it was uh, it was uh, you guys hosted a, a great Pro Swim. But if for me coming back to campus, it's always an, as an alum, you're looking at the town and you're you know you're you're trying to you're trying to retrace your old stomping grounds. And uh, kind of the feeling I came away with is that uh, I hadn't been I hadn't been back in many many years. It's it's like Knoxville has transformed. It feels like, um, and this might not be fair, but some people might make this assessment. It feels like Austin in the 1990s. It feels like a smaller. It feels like small. You know, when Austin was was manageable and smaller, but it has um, it's gotten kind of cosmopolitan. It's gotten cool. Yeah, and. Uh, I don't, I was, I was very surprised. I didn't expect that. And, um, uh, it's, it seems, it seems like a great place to spend four years. It's, it, it really is. And the, man, I don't have a, a much of a memory of Austin in, in the nineties, but I can tell you that it's very, Knoxville is really accessible and your old buddy, um, a guy named Don Bosch, fellow alum of the, of the Tennessee swimming program, has really been a big part, he and a few other people, of having this vision for downtown Knoxville, which used to be like fairly nondescript and, you know, warehouses and that kind of stuff, and making it feel sort of like this European city where um, there's a, a lot of green, green areas and, um, and walking areas free of cars and local businesses, um, music, art that I think is a community that really supports art. And we've even, I have to say, I think we've, we've um, sort of co-opted one of Austin's, uh, instead of keep, keep Austin weird, we say keep, keep Knoxville scruffy. Because in the, in the 1982 World's Fair, somebody from the, the, the New York Times came and wrote that Knoxville's a scruffy little city. And he didn't really mean it in a, a glowing sense, but that that's a pretty awesome description of like what you can find. It's, 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 um, it, we got some of everything and it's not the, the neatest place, but it is, it, it's hip and it's happening. And, and there's so much good stuff going on here. And, and the campus runs right up against that, that cool downtown area. So it's really accessible to, to our, our student athletes. Okay, final question. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep saying final question. I'm not going to ask more questions, but I'm going to ask another final question. So 1982, I went to the World's Fair as a child, uh, as, a, as a like a 12 or 13 year old and, and said and told my father I would never go to school there and then ended up going to school there. Wow. And uh, it was, um, you know, I, I remember back then it was a, I, th I think it, in terms of, of trying to be a, a, a leader in the NC2A, hunt it was uh it was a it was a tough place to recruit to and it was uh and i think that was the, it was that way for a lot of sec schools maybe not the university of florida but it was it was always a challenge and um it doesn't it seems like that dynamics changing i i agree with you 100 and i think that the, the um, rising tide of the sec has sort of lifted all boats there there are some fantastic institutions in the sec and um, and some really cool college towns. I mean, the idea of, of a college town, uh, I think, is sort of distilled in, in a lot of, of SEC, um, at hometowns of SEC universities. 
And, and Knoxville has certainly been a, a beneficiary of that where, um, you know, so, some place, like I, I, I grew up in North Carolina, went to Duke. Durham was never necessarily felt like a college town. Um, but the identity of a college town has really become uh, something that Knoxville is, is really proud of, but not, it's not exclusively what Knoxville is. And I think that kind of interplay is, um, has really contributed to, to us being able to recruit internationally and us being able to, to recruit people to the business school where, where you graduated and, and have it be um, uh, considered an elite education. Um, and not certainly not just business, but there, there are a lot of jewels to the crown here. And, and, um, and I'm not sure that that was necessarily true when you were at the World's Fair and I was in high school marching band playing the trumpet, marching down the, I think it was, it was Gay Street, um, playing all the wrong notes and thinking, man, I don't, I, I, I don't really enjoy this. But um, that's, that's my memory. That's my first memory of Knoxville. It's gotten quite a bit better. <laughs> on that note uh we do want to talk about recruiting to knoxville but not necessarily uh the recruiting that is to come but the recruiting you've already done um we have seen th this influx of transfers uh over the last out of 12 months um to knoxville to tennessee i'm going to list a few just to give our listeners uh some context there's been Claire Wynn from Arizona State, Cassidy Bayer from Cal, Kristen Stagey from East Carolina, Emma Carlton from Texas A&M, Anna Julia Kutch, which is the latest transfer from Auburn. Uh, on the men's side, you've got Alexi Tarasenko uh, from Iowa, and then, I'm sorry if I mispronounced this name, but Lyubomir? Lyubomir. Lyubomir Petropov, uh, also from East Carolina. And so you, you guys have had this influx and, um, and then on the, on the professional side as well, Ali Deloof uh, has joined the pro group. Veronica Burchill has joined the pro group. Uh, this is going to turn into a question in a minute. Um, and so I, I want to talk about coach's favorite buzzword, which is culture, but I, I want to try to make it a little different for our listeners today. Um, and so I want to start with you, Matt, um, and, you know, having a conversation with you, especially about athletes, I think you say things in a much different way than a lot of adults do. You have this methodical way of talking to athletes, of talking about athletes um, that I think that I find very unique. Um, and so, you know, you, you like you said earlier, you have been able to kind of have free reign to do what you want and to build this program in the way you want. How have how has that started with you? What have you done? What has your vision been? And what are maybe some of the smaller things that you've done to to try to instill that at Tennessee? Oh wow. Um, well, I, I think it probably starts with the idea of sw swimming provides purpose and meaning. Um, so you can, and I would say this with any endeavor that people are passionate about, it, if you apply your passion to that thing, then you, you, you can discover a tremendous amount about yourself. And that process is, uh, it, it, it feeds itself. 
I was the a huge beneficiary of that that process in swimming. Um, you know, both pre college and and in in college, where uh, I I decided I wanted to be the best, and and I pursued that. Now I, I never was the best, but it was the pursuit of being the best that led to, and, and you can put this a lot of different ways. It was like the getting better, um, doing things. I I loved imagining things that imagining doing things that nobody had ever done before. I I loved, uh, you know, watching people do things that, that had been thought to be impossible. And I have seen time and time again in, in sport and in swimming that people change their beliefs about themselves. And in, and in the process of doing that, they, they actually end up accomplishing things that people at one point thought were impossible. To me, it's, it's the pursuit of, of not only better, but the the pursuit of what if, like what, or how do I go back to that first question? Like, how do I win NC2As? How do we win NC2As? How, How do we, um, how do we make the Olympic team? How do we win a gold medal? How, we, how do we break a world record? And those are fun questions to ask. What gets in the way of that process, I think, is, is uh, self-limiting beliefs. Like, well, that's for other people to pursue. Or I'm not a sprinter, or I'm not a distance swimmer, or I'm not, I'm not good enough, or I'm not a kicker. Like, the those self-limiting beliefs that people have are in some ways the enemy they're present in everybody but that's what we try to to kind of get rid of and so what what i want for the athletes who swim here and and the coaches who work here and all of us is the ability to imagine what if and and what's possible without excuses and when you have a staff like I have, and when you have buy-in from the people who, um, the people who touch the program and, and the people who are in the program, that that's the way we want to think, then you have the beginnings of a culture. Like those beliefs, that culture is, is certainly founded in belief, but culture is created through the individual acts. Like, we can talk all day about what, what I believe and what I want to believe, but if I don't really act on those things, then I'm just sounding good. But the, the way that we approach, the way, the way that I walk out on the pool deck every day, the way that, that people walk out of the locker room every day, that, that is a reflection of culture. It, it's, you're always reflecting, um, reflecting those beliefs, and actually you're creating culture. Culture is created by the doing. And we, we, we talk about these things a lot with our, our team and our staff, but I think for me, it's Tennessee offered the opportunity to, to have that kind of, um, that kind of belief system without excuses. Last place I worked, which was a great place, University of Richmond, I could have stayed there all my life. Um, but it was a little bit frustrating to not have a 50 meter pool because that ended conversations with people that I thought could still come to university of Richmond and be 
be as good as they wanted to be. I didn't think that was a limitation, but it ended up being a, a limitation. So when I got to Tennessee, I felt like, okay, this is awesome. No excuses. And, and that's the way that, that I think I've proceeded, but I can't say enough about the people who have, who have taught me along the way, like the, I mean, the staff that I have gotten a chance to work with, um, the people that I've had in administrative, administrative positions. And my gosh, the, the, the athletes that I've worked with have, have been extraordinary in, in their willingness to embrace and remind me that, that, you know, what we're doing is, is pursuing things that haven't been done before. I'm going to interject something real quickly, just so we can, we can get very, that was broad. I want to get specific. The, uh, your, your relationship with the coach at the elite level is, is incredibly personal. It's like, it's like you have a second parent. And uh, when I felt like I really understood you was in a, in a moment where I, if I remember correctly, Erica Brown, did she, she DQ'd at SEC championships? Is that correct? Um, she's, yeah, she it was in, in C's. Playing the wrong stroke in the 200 medley relay at NC2A. Yeah. yeah, which is, and, and, I, and, I, and I was just like, you know, how did you manage that? And your response um, floored me because I came from, a, from an old guard situation where I got screamed at, spittle flying in your face. But you, 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 your response to me was, well, you know, Mel, we needed to let her feel it so that she could experience that moment so that she could get past that moment. You, were con- you weren't concerned about points. You were concerned about her head, where she was at, and how she could process that. And, uh, and I, was, I was blown away. I'm like, this is, this, this, is what, this is the way it should be. And, and I felt like I really knew you in that moment. Um, do you have other examples where you've had milestone moments with athletes where they had to, they needed to process something positive or negative and, you know, and you, you were helping them get through that. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like every season is filled with those moments and that's what keeps me coming back that, that there, there are obviously no two athletes that are the same. And even, you know, experience basically means, that you have, you have the ability to see patterns. And sometimes that can be really helpful. Usually it is. Sometimes it's not helpful. And I think sometimes like I remember breaking the moments when I've broken out of those patterns, what one, one really, I'll never forget this. There's a, a swimmer who most people probably haven't heard of because of her swimming career, but you may have known, you may know her because of her professional career. And that's Grace Ann Sanderson. She swam here um, in the, in the early teens. And she is now, she basically is Mizuno swim USA. Um, And she was uh, a, a good swimmer coming out of high school. She's from Nashville and, and had, quite a few injuries along the way, like a pretty troublesome knee. So that by the end of her career, um, she, best times were hard to come by. But here she was in her senior year and swimming in, in a, a last chance meet just to, and this was this kind of beautiful moment because she knew it was her last swim. She didn't have any thoughts of making NC2As, but she was gonna, in my mind, this swimmer, 
this swimmer had been through so much. She'd given so much to the team. Teammates adored her. She's going to break 150 in the, in the 200 freestyle. So, and she was ready. So she, uh, she got up and, and went out in like 53 and then turned at like 121 at the, at the, at the 150. And I'm like, mm, she's going to do it. Here she comes. She's coming home. And the team is all on the side and they're cheering for her. I mean, you've been to the pool and she's breathing to the right and she's breathing to the right. And wait a second, she's slowing down. And she's breathing to the right in the last 25. And the she's seeing the team with their arms up in the air. And she, what the heck is she doing? She's slowing down. And what? And wait a second, What? she's smiling. She took her last four strokes so slowly, hit in like 151 or 150, did not swim best time. And, and I asked her afterwards, okay, that was awesome. You know, hugs all around as your last swim. What were you, what were you, what, what happened in the last 50? I thought you were going to go under 150. She said, I just wanted to savor it. Like she said, this is the last time I'm going to swim. I just, I, I didn't want it to end. So like that, those kinds of things, if, and, and for me, like I was, there's half of me that was kicking myself. Like, how did I not get her ready? Ah, she could have gone 149. And of course, after she said that, like, I, I feel like a, I feel like an ass. Like, I don't, why, why do I care about the time if she doesn't care about the time? And so that, like, I'll never forget that moment. And I think we have a lot of moments like that. We just have to be there for them and, and help the athletes see that for what it is. I mean, Kudos to her too for dropping that that idea that I have to swim best time and just immersing herself in the moment of man, this is what it's all about swimming for my team. And I mean that's a that's a great point to bring up and exactly what I wanted to hit on next was that again I think you have a, a, a unique way of communicating with athletes and you know, I think a lot of coaches would be like, well, what the heck, <laughs> you know, you slowed down your last four strokes. And like you said, it's, it's a hard hurdle to, to get over as a coach to, to take a step back and say, okay, this, like that, that was an amazing swim. And it wasn't because the, that athlete won a best time. Um, have, have you picked up other things about communicating with athletes um, you know, about their swimming, about other things. I mean, how have you evolved your method of, of, of communicating with athletes since your time at Tennessee and maybe even before? Well, I, I mean, it's, it, I, I want to believe that I'm continuing to get better at it. I think there are a few formative realizations that I've had um, that are um, – that I think just lead to a philosophy of, of communication. One is that, and, and I, w I so wish that I had discovered this earlier or come to this realization earlier. Um, anger is, is not a very useful emotion in communication at all. And I, I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I, I used to use it more as I think as a weapon and uh, and, and, and it's so 
I think, destructive for a relationship between a coach and an athlete. Um, it, it's, it almost always comes out of a, sort of an inflated sense of ego on the, on the part of the coach or um, a, a lack of presence. So if an athlete's angry, then, you know, people are kind of wired to sort of mirror the, the emotion of, of the other person. I think it's great to feel empathy. It's not great when you're dealing with anger. So I've come to realize that, unfortunately, you know, through just reviewing the day every day and saying, uh, less and less frequently, okay, was my anger helpful? And the answer is always no. It's always no. So that's one thing that has taken time, I think, to realize. The other is um, going back to Kim Kredich, my wife. She is a choral conductor by training, and she is this incredible, like conducting is this incredible physical activity um, where imagine the, the chorus or the, the orchestra is, they're not just watching the, the conductor for the beat. They're, they're watching the posture, the breathing, the attitude, and they're, they're absorbing all that. And way back when I first started coaching as a head coach, this is around the time that I think we won our first conference championship when I was at Brown University. Um, she, <laughs> She, I, I, we were hosting the meet. I came home and she said, you know, your body language is, is not good. And, <laughs> and she said, what, I can tell exactly what you're, uh, what you're thinking when you're talking to an athlete and they feel the same thing. So I know that you're feeling frustration for them, but they interpret it as frustration at them. So be aware of your physical presence, be aware of what you're projecting all the time and, and know that it has an effect. So the next night we, we had a kind of a difficult, um, we, we weren't great. I think in the, in, in the final session is maybe day two of a three day meet, but she was in the stands and I was smiling the whole time. I'm smiling and saying, great job. You got this great job. You got this. And, she always reminds me, I'll never forget either. Like I looked up at the stands and said, how am I doing? And she's like, you're doing great. So that, that image is one that, that was really formative that as a coach, I'm always projecting something. And, and, and I want to make sure that that is being received in the right way. And that I'm not projecting my own insecurities, frustrations, anything on other people. And, and I, I'm not going to tell you that I'm good at it, but at least being aware of it is, um, I, I, I think, allows me to, to be a better coach. Coleman, let's, 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 let's bring this to what's up and coming. It's, uh, this has been the weirdest year in the world. Um, you've, you've managed it well. You, you guys have even produced some great media. Um, it's, I, I, I'm, I saw this video with, I forget what the title of it was, but I watched it like five times. I loved it so much. I showed it to my, to my wife, but it's been an unusual year and it's really tested our patience and, um, and our, and our mental health. So how, how, how are you managing this as we're moving into this championship season? Well, I, I have to say, I, I'll go back again to the, the staff that I have. So Lance Asty, Rich Murphy, and Dave Parrington, our diving coach, um, work with 
our, our men's team primarily. Um, Ashley John, Dave Parrington, myself, um, Patrick Beasley worked with our women's team. And then Josh Yuji, who has produced some fantastic um, media for us as well, and he does a great job recruiting, works with both teams. Um, th this is an incredibly mentally strong and, and well-grounded staff. And I think that I can't say enough about the, the job that they and Greg Adamson, our strength coach, have done in providing, you know, when the athletes show up to the, the pool every day, they want consistency and they want stability. And I think our, our staff has done a great job providing that. Beyond that, I, I have to say our, our senior leadership has been tremendous on, you know, th on throughout the, the whole pro program. And these guys, I think what you want most from seniors is that they, they look at their last year the way Grayson looked at that last swim, that they want to savor every bit of it. And I think everybody had to go through this idea that oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But then they came to the idea of, well, maybe this could be better than I thought it was going to be if I give it a chance. And because they've done things like, I mean, they have gathered a lot less indoors. And whether that's parties or, 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 or just get-togethers, they haven't done it. What they've done, though, is they've gotten outdoors more. They've spent more time with themselves. They've spent more time on themselves. And they've communicated that really well with each other and they've they've done a great job sharing and, and just staying together so you know one week before the, the women's meet and two weeks before the men's meet i feel like we are i mean the it's, it really feels like the walls are closing in at times that the the new variants are coming and people are protecting themselves still will end up getting it but i feel like we're in a good place and i know that the sense of accomplishment that people feel right now is fueling what just getting through the season feels like a win. And so that that's fueling what, what we have left, I think. And at least I hope that it is. It feels like it is to me. Hey, I'll, I'll jump in here. Unless, do you have a final question, Colin? Go ahead. It's, I just, I just wanted to say this. I, I, what, what was the name of that video? Because <laughs> I loved it so much. It'd be cool to drop that link in here. Do you remember that? The, the one of, of me um, dealing with quarantine? Yeah. Yes, the quarantine video. I want, so we want to, we got to drop in the quarantine video because everyone on yeah. Earth who cares about swimming needs to see this video. Because well, it was legit. On your, on your website. Yeah, we'll find it. Okay, yeah, we'll find it. it. It's, um, okay, just, okay. A lot, lot of, we're down to two minutes. Uh, and I just, I want to ask this question. I'm sure we're going to talk to you ahead of, ahead of the summer, but uh, you know, just selfishly, let's talk about butterfly. Erica is moving into the summer with a very frothy, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough final. Um, how do you manage that? Cause you, you've got a star on your hands. Yeah. I mean, we, this pro group is, is just fantastic. And, and so the ISL, I think, provided a lot of experience and um, and fuel in some ways for the push to Olympic trials and then to the Olympic Games. Um, the great thing about Erica is she does more than one thing, and um, and she's not. She also doesn't believe that that 
she needs to focus just on the 50 or the 100 or the 200 or the 100 fly. She wants to be, she wants to go to that meet and race and have a great time. Um, so we, she gets a lot of support from the, the other pro women that are here and in turn gives it as well. So I, we just want to walk into that meet, I think, with this belief that we can we can do exceptional things and and with this reminding ourselves that we love to compete. And that's it's definitely a group that loves to compete. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.